Welcome everyone, you are listening to Do We Like Murder. This is a segment of the Long Overdue Podcast, a production production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. And I'm Chris, I'm here to introduce our true crime aficionados. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds... Dawn. I don't know. <laughs> and, and Denise. It sounds very uh, important. There you go. That's a good word. Like an actual title. Yeah. <laughs> and not just two weird girls that like murder. <laughs> Bunch of weirdos here. Well, I was just, I was think I might have been thinking that, but I thought that I should say <laughs> But something you said something nice. More, yeah. A little oh, more very. polite. I was going to say murder aficionados, but that sounds, mm, that sounds questionable bad. also. Yes. <laughs> But y'all have been doing this for a long time now. It's been over a year now. Yeah, so y'all over were, a year. Yeah, wow. so uh, I'd say that y'all have earned some <laughs> earned some credit, you know, some, some podcast street cred. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, what did y'all read this time? I know you said yours was really interesting. Yeah, mine was a r- wild Denise, ride. Yeah. Uh, Seduced by Madness, The mm-hmm. True Story of the Susan Polk Murder Case by Carol Pogash. Mm-hmm. I read The Demon Next Door by Brian Burrow. And it was very short. It was uh, I listened to it. It was an audiobook. Um, but it happened in Temple. Oh. Yeah. You read a lot of those that happened in, like in it's, Texas. It's, I think it's very... Um, it's more intriguing when you're familiar with the place. Because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, they went there and they went there. I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know a lot about Temple, but I, I could kind of envision a little bit mm-hmm. of, of where things were. So, yeah. So, mine's going to be short and sweet. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, my book is about Daniel Corwin. And this is, um, he was a serial killer, uh, and I thought that it was very interesting because they, they wanted to protect him. And so, um, it was, it was an interesting situation. So he grew up at seemingly normal family, Mm -hmm. church family, um, had a lot of, um, activity in the church and all that stuff. Family, um, very engaged in the community as well as the church. And, um, something happens and he, um, attacked this girl, uh, outside the school, I believe it was. Uh, the high school in Temple, and took her to a deserted place and uh, raped her, got her out of the vehicle, and uh, her her purse ends up falling out. And then he takes her over to where this pile of trash is and proceeds to slit her throat and um, stab her. And then he, he covers her up. With debris. Uh-huh. Hmm. And um, so she's alive this whole time. I, I, I One of the things that I am amazed at reading these books is how long it can take to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What your body can go through um, without you passing out or you're still alive. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not like they show in movies where you just... 
hit somebody one time or stab them one time and they're just out cold. It's yeah. I mean, you have to terrible. stab someone in like a very like specific yeah spot for something like that to happen for them to just die mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like because you know just being stabbed and and her throat throat slit that's like the big thing it's like oh if your throat is slit then you're just you know you're gonna die really quickly but she didn't well so we didn't cut deep enough yeah mm-hmm. so he um he covered her up so that she wouldn't be found and She's laying there just trying to wait until she knows he's left. And mm-hmm. he goes and gets in her car and, and finally leaves. And so she pushes everything off of her and she goes and she's able to find help. <clears throat> wow. Gosh. Yeah. Um, however, the, the church tries to protect him. They can't believe that this has happened. Um, they legitimately don't, don't believe that he did it. He could have done that. Okay. Uh huh. Um, they try their hardest to go to the police, to go to prosecutors, whoever, and say, you know, let's try to get this to go away. Um, it was not published like in newspapers Mm -hmm. and all that um because the person who was in charge of the newspaper went to the church Mm. and so they were able to kind of keep it quiet yeah the editor tells you that you're they're not including that story in the paper well they're Mm -hmm. not including that story in the paper yes (laughs) that's right (laughs) this is where you start a blog people Mm -hmm. (laughs) like okay you don't need to publish this right well and and the the other kids his age didn't think that he could have done something like that. Um, and so they were all just appalled when he ends up going to to jail because the judge is like, no, this is not right. Mm-hmm. But it got to the point where the uh, pastor of the church went so far as to say nasty things about the girl. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was wondering when that was going to happen. Yes. And say that she provoked it and, you know, she's um, this kind of a girl and everybody knows that. And it was, um, I can't even just believe that that the pastor of the church would even say that. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, So far, none of this sounds like they actually thought that he was innocent. Like if he's like, she provoked the attack and so on. Like to me, it sounds like they are pretty aware that it's him. They're protecting him anyway Mm -hmm. yes like it's not like oh no no like she must be wrong it's like "Eh, this sounds like you believe that he did it but but the reason he did it was because she provoked it Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so anyway he does end up going to prison he goes to um huntsville and is there for 10 years um i can't remember what sentence he actually received i want to say it was 40 years But because of the prison system in the 80s, this happened in, um, I want to say, this one may have been like early 80s, 81, I think. Um, It was overcrowded. Mm -hmm. They were trying to get people through, and he was on his best behavior. She would go to school and she would wear scarves so that Mm -hmm. the scar wouldn't show. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had that i know the rest of her life that's amazing um but he's a model inmate 
everybody loves him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, why are you even here kind of thing? You know, that you're, you just do such a good job. You do your work. You, he, it said in the book that he was the warden's um, pet, you know. So um, after 10 years, he, he applied for parole at seven years, didn't get it. And then applied two more times, and the third time he got it. Um, so he'd been in there for 10 years. In the meantime, he was actually seeing somebody from the church. This young girl um, would go with his sister to see him because Danny's mom wanted everybody to visit him. And mm-hmm. so they would go as much as they could, but they also asked people from the congregation to go too. And so this young girl, who's like 11... <gasps> when she first started going, would go to the prison with his sister to visit him. And she says later, she's like, what kind of parent would do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Would allow your child to go to the prison to visit? It's like everybody's a bad parent here. His parents encouraging that. Yes. And hers would be like, you can totally go visit him. How old is he at this point? Oh, he's... um, He's probably 18 or 19, I'm guessing, at this point. Because it happened when they were in high school, high school. late high school. Okay. So, um, yes. So he's, yeah. Much probably, older. Yeah. Getting into the late teens, early 20s, and mm-hmm. she's 11. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she said she'd go at least two times a year, but then they would also, um, they started corresponding as well. And so he gets out after 10 years and he calls her up. Guess who this is? And she's like, oh my gosh. And she runs over to his house and she just like knew that they were going to get married. She just, he was the one for her. Yeah. So things go on. (laughs) They date for a long time. I mean, I want to say close to a year at least. Um, But he decides to go to college. He's starting to get his life a little bit together. And Mm -hmm. they think that one of the things that he can do is go to college and that'll help put things behind them. So she's going to go to college and he is. So he goes from Temple to College Station, Texas A&M, to go to, to school. Um, that lasts for a couple months, maybe, mm. before he flunks out. But then he uh, keeps pretending that he's going, so he keeps up the charade. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, he runs into people who um, were guards at the prison and who did different things at the prison. And one of them, they, he was, during one, the time he was in prison, he was a mechanic. He learned how to do that. Well, there was another shop also that was cabinet making. And the guy who did that would have to walk through the auto shop to get to his shop. And so they, um, I don't know, became friends. They knew mm-hmm. each other. Everybody thought, the, the, um, they thought he did such a good job that the police officers were bringing their personal vehicles to him to, um, have him wow. work on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, he had a good reputation when he was in prison. So then he runs into a couple of them, you know, happen, happen stance, whatever, however you say that. And um, they offer him a job at this, their personal cabinet making shop 
that's outside of the prison. And yeah, hmm. so now he's working. After a little bit, he's no longer going to school. Um, he's still dating Becky, but things are not going well. He's said some things that she's not thinking he's going to be a good husband because he hasn't paid bills and followed through with some things. And mm-hmm. she's noticing that he is lying to her. So she's starting to back off a little bit mm-hmm. because of those things. And so while he's over in um, the Huntsville College Station area, he starts up his old stuff again. There's a cabinet maker, or he's the cabinet maker. They had a, a customer who was an orthodontist. And she was um, in her office one night, late afternoon, actually. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't exactly know the whole circumstances because listening to it, it was a little confusing. There was somebody else with her in the office. And the orthodontist starts to um, freak out and she's like oh my gosh there's a guy out there with a gun or you know Mm -hmm. and so the other lady comes out and she's like well we think we've got to lock the door Um, and she can see him from like the bottom down um, but she gets over there and she gets the door locked and then she runs and hides under a desk and calls the police well by the time that the police get there the other lady is gone she just has disappeared. So I'm so confused on what how that whole thing happened. Yeah. How did she get out? Did she just did she see him? I was like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> Maybe she did. Yeah, <laughs> and then just walked out there. Yep. I don't think they ever found her body. So they she like disappeared, disappeared. Like they never found her again. Like Mm-mm. that was it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um. So then there was another lady who was a grandmother, from what I understand. She was, you know, she went to the church to do her walking. I guess it was a better place to walk than her house. I don't know. And um, she was usually home by 10 in the morning. But her grandson drove by the church later in the day. And he's like, that's not normal. So they start searching for her. And they -hmm. they eventually find her out in the country on back roads and she's got her throat slit and she's been stabbed in the back and um, I believe she was raped as well and then there was one other lady who um, was married had a kid at least one child she ends up going to a Halloween party. After the party she um, has taken her daughter to, she stops at the car wash and is going to just rinse her car off and disappears. No, she doesn't disappear. <laughs> She's found right there. In the car wash? In the car wash. In the car wash with her daughter in the car. And the daughter's just traumatized. Well, how old was the daughter? Four. Four. Uh-huh. Um, she was just like locking and unlocking the vehicle, and she just was in the front, in the back, and, you know, mm-hmm. she was just, I, I can't even imagine. But she was, um, I'm not sure if she was really raped, but I know that obviously she was had her throat slit, and, mm-hmm. and she was stabbed as well. So, 
They finally catch up with him. And of course, the people that he's working for, the cabinet makers, are like, he didn't do it. He could never do that. But, he was in prison for this exact same thing, but it wasn't him. Right. But they they start to get the information of how somebody's been killed, and he's like, oh, crap. You know, so anyway, he goes and helps the police, and um, he's like, I basically had to work next to him all day after he'd found out. Um, because they didn't have enough information at that mm-hmm. point yet to arrest him. He's like, working. You don't want to tip him off. Yeah. Can you imagine working next to a murderer and you have to be quiet about it? Mm-hmm. That would be torture. Yes, that would I mean, be very I'm, difficult. <laughs> yes. I would say, I'm sick. I'm sorry. I've got to go home or something. Shop's closed. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I'm not nope. feeling, I'm not feeling well at all. We, yeah. just, we just need to close up for today. But then you close up and then you give him free time and it's like, what? Yeah. What if he goes and mm-hmm. does it again? Yeah, mm-hmm. at least if he's at the shop, they know where he is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So or, anyway, they get to his house and they arrest him. And yeah. I'd probably just come and be like, look, dude, I'm in a really bad mood. So why don't you just go there and work? And I, we just, I'm not mad at you. But I just need some alone time. Yeah. Right here next to you. So yeah. <laughs> just, just, don't, just don't talk to me, all right? <laughs> you look over there and I'll look over here. But I promise I'm not mad at you. <laughs> and I will try really hard not to cut you with this saw I have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I must try to not have an accident today. All right. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so he they catch him on one of the um the murders and then he ends up confessing later after he's been in prison for several years oh, wow. um he I, I think that's what it he met with part of the family and that was several years later and talked to them about um you know that he had done it and mm-hmm. but they, he didn't answer why and the the, the author of the book believes that he was lying when he was talking about a lot of that stuff that he was just wanting their forgiveness and he was trying to say oh woe is me Mm -hmm. i was raped and this and that but his timing was not right based on police files Mm -hmm. and everything and so it's like no you started this before that happened um and and for some reason i think there were two people in the temple area that something happened to and i can't remember the other one but so he was arrested late 90s, sorry, late 80s, and um, he died on December 7th, 1998. He was 40 years old. And was he shanked in prison? <laughs> <laughs> no, he got uh, lethal injection. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Mexican. So he got the death penalty. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, interestingly enough, his birthday was September 13th, 1958. Somebody may be listening on that. That's in three days. Happy birthday. And that is Friday the 13th. Yeah. Ooh, creepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this is uh, all Temple, South, South Texas. It's a full moon, too, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna go home. <laughs> Lock all the doors. <laughs> Lock my doors. That's right. <laughs> mm. 
So I, I, I looked him up on the computer. I, mm-hmm. Because this isn't being an audiobook, you can't take notes, you know, because I listen right. while I'm driving. And so I, I pulled up some information and his picture looked just like Ricky Lee Green. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the facial, the way they're holding their face and mm-hmm. everything. Wow. It's like maybe there's a. They all look alike. <laughs> I know. I know that it's probably you know. It's, there's probably a lot of junk science in that, but I know that there's been speculation about how a person's facial features are, are like correlate to their character, their personality, and things like that. And so, like you can supposedly, according to this this science, you can like tell an evil person just by the way their their features are. But that sounds like. I mean, I'm sure that really awful people do have a way of like, I don't know, you know, muscle memory in their face and like, mm-hmm. but they also might just be, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I do mean, you think, Denise? You're, you're the expert on junk I, science. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a, a bunch of poop. Yeah, because, that's what it sounds like to me. Because, I mean, you have guys that are pretty dang handsome that are evil. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, it's like. How did they coerce this? Well, I don't know. He, you know, good looking and smiled at her and was all like, let's go have a drink. And she's like, okay. And ends up dead somewhere. Like, yeah. You can't just look at someone and be like, oh, yeah, totally. Right. Because if that was the case, then be like, no, this dude looks too evil. I'm definitely not going with him. I'm not going anywhere with him. Yeah. He's not handsome enough. We'll just say it's (laughs) junk science based on on a coincidence. But that that is interesting that that's. Yeah, I thought it was too. I'm like, oh my gosh, the similarities. <laughs> but now I'm thinking about whether or not they were in prison together. Oh. I just thought of that. I'm going to have to go back and check dates and look at look yeah. at some different stuff. They, they may have known each other. <laughs> <sighs> That's kind of creepy. That I don't creepy. know. That, that whole story is, that you just told us is really creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, it is. It's so creepy. Like the fact that everybody thought he was just this, this great person, and even after they were probably pretty sure he did this thing, and they're just like, "Oh, but he couldn't possibly be that well, bad." Let's defend him. Yeah. And, and then he went to prison for ten years, and they're like, oh, "Okay, you know, he just did it one time, and now he's going to get his life together." And then he gets out, and he turns out to be a serial well, rapist killer. The yeah. thing is that. They hid everything from from the community and really mm-hmm. from the rest of the congregation and everything. So they thought he was innocent, that he got stuck in prison for, um, I don't even, taking the fall? Or, because some girl lied. Yeah. That's pretty much what it sounds like they thought. Yeah, which I can, I'm, I'm very curious to find out if she actually stayed in that community because I can imagine her reputation was just yeah. ruined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they talked about how the this girl, um, the one that I think he ended up dating, was just, she couldn't have thought that he'd done that. She wouldn't have gotten together with him if she had thought for any inkling of a second mm-hmm. that he had done that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they completely covered it up. Yeah. So anyway, at the end of this, the, the book, the... Um, original pastor of that church had been pushed out but he ends up going up to the the police detective and apologizing to him mm. and you know because he knew he'd 
Apologizing to the detective. I'm sorry. You said some really awful things about a victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should be apologizing to their families and and to her. And Yeah. yeah. And to all those other families, because if he hadn't have done that, he would have been in jail for longer mm-hmm. the first time. And he wouldn't have had the opportunity to do the other things. So. Yep. I think things are different now. I don't know if things would happen like that anymore. But. Who knows? Right. There's a lot of variables involved in that. Mm-hmm. It seems like it depends a lot on the area and the kind mm-hmm. of like the climate of the community on what happened. And right. And who has, I guess, the biggest platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because people listened to him because he was the pastor of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yep. And everybody had their own agenda mm-hmm. for, you know, not wanting to have a stain on the town of Temple. Um so they didn't want this to be out in the public eye for that reason as well as other, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the other reasons too. Or they, they have like a sign out out at the entrance of the city limits that says Temple, the town where murders never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, and I'm like, is Temple some big like tourist spot that they yeah. they're, playing? Know, we're like, they're like, oh, uh, we can't go to Temple now. <laughs> <laughs> Like they would have to begin. Right, with. yes. People are <laughs> lining up to go visit Temple. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, I don't know what it was like then, but it's such a, a drive-by city. You yeah, just, I can't imagine that it had ever been like a big metropolis that people yeah. were like clamoring to get to. <laughs> right? Because you drive through it to get to something else. Right. <laughs> San Marcos or San Antonio or, you know, whatever. So. Sorry, Temple listeners. Yes, I do apologize. <laughs> Just stating the facts. <laughs> As I see them. <laughs> I'm not apologizing for anything. <laughs> I stand by what I said. <laughs> All of it. All right, what you got, Denise? Okay, well, I've got... So... Seduced by Madness by Carol Pogash is the true story of the Susan Polk murder case. So this was pretty big back in the early 2000s. I remember reading this book when we first got it. And then I was reading it just a few days ago for for this, for Dewey. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot all of this craziness. Like, just like, oh, I should... I'm going to reread this because I've already read it before, so it won't take me too long uh-huh. to reread. And all I'm thinking about was how this girl started therapy when she was 15. Her therapist was 40, and they started having an affair. And then they got married. They had three kids. She and him really fell into that whole satanic panic of the of the 80s mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and then uh she murdered him like that was all that i remembered and so then i was reading it and i was like how could i have forgotten all of this <laughs> okay so now is this the california did this yes. happen in california okay mm-hmm. and orinda california uh-huh northern california um in october 14th of 2002 15-year-old Gabriel Polk found his father dead in their pool house. 
He had been stabbed, I believe the count was 27 times. Holy smokes. Yeah. And so he, of course, runs and hides from his mother because he is 100% sure that she's the one that did it because she talked about doing it all the time. All the time. Interesting. Oh, she was going to murder him. Hmm. And and it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to murder him. But it was, I'm going to shoot him in the head. I'm going to stab him. I'm going to poison him. I'm going to drown him. Like, wow. All the time. Uh huh. So he didn't really, like, at some point it was just like, oh, mom. And then it was like, oh, whatever, mom. And then when it happens, it's like, holy cow, she really did it. I got to run and hide and call the cops. Um, the cops aren't necessarily used to this kind of thing in this area. Uh, they get there. One of the detectives gets there, Sergeant Hansen. And he goes and he tells Susan that, you know, they found him dead and, you know, he's dead. And she says, oh, well, we were getting a divorce anyway. Well, okay. Uh-huh. So she really had no feelings for him anymore. Did not care <laughs> at all. Um, when Gabriel found found him, and she was, he was hiding from her, and on the phone with the police, um, she went to the pool house and pretended to find him. Like was like, oh my gosh! But she kind of said it like that, like, oh my gosh! Look at all this blood! Like, yeah. <laughs> like alrighty so the story started really way back in the 70s like I said when she was 15 mm-hmm. uh, she got into some trouble and the court she was her trouble wasn't really like all that big of a deal mm-hmm. like she didn't like go commit any major crimes or anything like that she was basically truant from school and really okay. all she wanted to do was go home and read <laughs> Like, it wasn't even like, I'm going to go party or whatever. She right. was just like, or, or go I have get all into this trouble. Russian literature that I need to read. And school's <sighs> just kind of cutting into my reading time. Dang. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> you can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she, she got in trouble for that. So, she doesn't really make any friends. She's 15, doesn't really have any friends. Like I said, she's kind of skipping school just to go home and read Mm -hmm. so um the court tells her mom that it'd probably really helpful for her to get some counseling Mm -hmm. just try to figure out why she's so disconnected from people her own age and so on so she's a fairly attractive young woman and they're just like i don't understand like Mm -hmm. why you're having such a hard time with school and people your own age and so on. So they didn't think like she's crazy. She needs counseling. They're like, there's something going on. Mm -hmm. And her skipping school is a sign of whatever it is that's going on. Okay. So she gets her mom, Helen gets her to go see Dr. Polk. And he's pretty well known and renowned as an adolescent psychotherapist and within this is where it gets a little a little dicey she's 15 when she starts Mm -hmm. she of course has a crush on him and so on and according to at first her and him and later on she changes this um they actually started their affair when she was 19 
Okay. Still not great. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, this is still bad. Yes. I mean, he's your therapist to begin with. Mm-hmm. He's 25 years older than you are. And I was like, okay. But I guess it's a little better than you being 15. Yeah. I guess. So he's married and has two kids. And he leaves his wife for Susan Polk. Really? <laughs> and they get married. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When they get engaged, he goes to his office. Like the people that he works with, that he shares an office with, knows that this is what he's doing, that he's started a relationship with this girl. And they're not they're not happy about it. But apparently in the seventies there weren't any laws about such a thing, about a therapist oh. having sex with his patient. So they felt it was unethical, mm-hmm. but he wasn't breaking any laws. Got it. Um, so they get married. When he proposes to her and she says yes, he goes to work and basically tells everybody at work that the good news is he's getting married. The bad news is he's marrying a 12-year-old. What? <laughs> That's what he said? That's what he said. And they're like, <laughs> okay, well, why are you marrying her, though? Like, if that's, that's what you that's what you think, that's what you feel. He takes her, he's also a professor at one of the psychology schools, and um, takes her as this, look, I totally cured her schizophrenia. And he, of course, did not care uh-huh. anything. And everybody, you know, his students and so on are like, are these two, like, together? Mm. <laughs> yeah. This all seems kind of weird. And then when they did get married and so on, it was like, okay, well, all of that made sense. His mentor was just like, when everybody, whenever someone comes and tells me that they've cured someone of a mental illness, mm-hmm. like, you have to be suspicious of that. Because you're never cured yeah. of a mental illness. Like, you can work to control it, um, but you're not ever just suddenly not at schizophrenic. Yeah. So, they get married. They have a son named Adam. Um, so, they're living in this relatively small neighborhood, and some of the neighbors are like, let's all go in on an all pair together. Like a couple of days a week, you need someone to look after your kid a couple of days a week. I need someone to look after my kid. Hmm. So if we all get together and pay her for like full time, mm-hmm. it'll only be a couple of days here and a couple of days there and a couple of days there. Okay. So let's all get together and do that. So they, Susan Polk agrees with her neighbors and goes in on that. Well, then the whole, like I said, the whole satanic panic thing started to happen where mm-hmm. people thought that their kids were being carted off from daycare to some secret location and like satanic cults were performing rituals and sexually abusing them. And, and playing Dungeons and Dragons? I'm sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was waiting for the aliens to come in on that. And uh, like just all kinds of craziness. And so many people believed this uh-huh. like it, it wasn't just the pokes like a lot of people thought that this was what was going on yeah and so um 
we start to suspect that Adam has been molested for who knows what reason. Uh, mm-hmm. Susan's kind of crazy. But. Okay. And um, at that time, his um, Felix, Dr. Polk's oldest daughter from the first marriage, is mm-hmm. living with him for a little bit. And she talks a little bit about how she was just like, it was kind of like amazing to watch her question like a toddler. Yeah. You know? And she was... <laughs> so he's a toddler and he's just kind of babbling along and she's deciphering what he's saying. And so she gets the phone book and like goes through it because what he just babbled sounded like this name. Was it this name? <laughs> and it's just like... <laughs> okay i think you're the satanic <laughs> yes yeah, like weird you're person kinda, you're kind of crazy <laughs> and so but they like he dr polk felix just completely went along with it and like they did interviews and they started an organization called enough about <laughs> yeah like they went all in on her delusion. Wow. Um, then they had... Wow. <laughs> yeah. Then they had their son, uh, Eli, and Gabriel later on. Like those, those were the three kids they had together. And Adam, throughout the entire time that all this was going on, you know, he was growing up, he didn't remember a lot of that first stuff because he was he was a little kid he was a toddler mm-hmm. um but as it went on like he got older and he remembered like coming home from daycare or coming home from preschool and just being like i don't want to go to school because he's a kid mm-hmm. you know and whatever happened at school he just didn't he didn't want to go he didn't yeah. want to go to school yeah and so she would say things like did somebody touch you if somebody touched you you don't have to go back to school so yeah (laughs) and he of course had no idea he was like i didn't even know what that meant Uh like all i know is that she was telling me to tell her this and i didn't have to go back to school yeah so that's what he said Uh uh-huh so that's what he said oh my gosh (laughs) smart kid (laughs) go figure and so it was just like and that's that was just kind of some of the her delusional stuff because eventually like that kind of like I said it kind of blew over mm-hmm. and um she moved on to something else what happened to her organization enough it just kind of petered out huh you know because i mean it became pretty common knowledge that there were no satanic cults whisking mm-hmm. kids away from daycare for a couple of hours to do weird things and then bring them back. And the daycare doesn't know anything about it. Oh, the daycare I mean, knows. Is- Everybody's in on it, Don. Oh. It's a satanic daycare. Oh. There's Satanists <laughs> everywhere. Like flying planes and stuff. Because they would not just like cart kids around on a bus. Sometimes uh-huh. they put them on a plane and take them somewhere else. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was... Hmm. I don't know how I survived the 80s. <laughs> I don't know how anyone survived the 80s. <laughs> like, I guess we were never put in daycare. <laughs> well, that is true. I was. You were? 
Oh, oh. I, don't, I don't know about in the eighties. <laughs> I think I, I think that it was probably the nineties by the time I was. By the time you any, went to daycare. In any daycare, but I did go to like a preschool. Like, oh. like a, I guess I think it was like a private preschool <laughs> or something like that. So the, maybe that explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> explains everything. Oh my gosh! <laughs> now we know. Yeah. No. Um, she at some point had um, a pretty rocky relationship with all of her sons. Um, Adam was his father's favorite, and Gabriel was her favorite, mm-hmm. and Eli was just kind of there in the middle. Later on, like it all kind of shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, she did get her two youngest sons, Eli and Gabriel, to be more on her side and hate him. Because at some point she turned on him. At some point she turns on everybody. Okay. Just the way she is. Um, They were married for, gosh, like 25 years or something like that. Like they were married for a long time Mm -hmm. before she started to turn on him. Wow. Um, And mainly because he just kind of went along with all of her all of her craziness mm-hmm. and not to say that he wasn't kind of nuts either because i mean obviously yeah he was but i think a lot of his his stuff was that he did not want to admit that she was crazy because mm-hmm. he had claimed to cure her he did not uh, um want to admit that he made a mistake by marrying someone that's so much younger than him mm-hmm. and i think he really did love his children yeah like, I, don't, I think that and i think he did love her but i think he wasn't willing to let the marriage go because then and also at this point if it had come out that he started this relationship with her while she was his patient mm-hmm. he would have been ruined yeah. Like in the 70s, people were like, oh, well, whatever. You know, free uh-huh. love, y'all. Right. <laughs> but now it would have been like, I'm sorry, you did what? Yeah. And then he would more than likely lose his practice. Not to mention that he's like boasting about curing her mm-hmm. and then obviously not. Right. So you're yeah. not as good as he, everybody says you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And he. He never did that thing where he keep, kept a distance from his patients. He would befriend them and he would have them over for like holidays and stuff like that. Like he would consider his patients his friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's not good. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're both kind of, kind of nuts. Um, at some point after she's decided that he's awful, um, she kind of goes along with every fad that comes comes the, comes along, like the satanic panic. Like she mm-hmm. jumped on that pretty quick. Yeah. Um, somewhere along the way, the whole recovered memory thing was a big thing where psychiatrists thought that you suffered trauma when you were a child and you blocked that memory out. But then if you recover that memory, then you can deal with the trauma and be like a better person and whatever. Hmm. So she jumped on that. Okay. And so she claimed that she had recovered all these memories and they made Felix the bad guy. Like all her memories weren't that she went into this relationship consensually. Mm -hmm. It was that he hypnotized her. Yeah. And 
just <laughs> so make me do it. Yeah. So she kind of jumps on all of these bandwagons. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when she turns on him. She gets so Adam, the oldest, is pretty much not on anybody's side. But if he had to pick a side, it would be his father's. Um, but he, you know, loves his mom. Mm-hmm. Knows that she's she's crazy. Like he started realizing pretty early on that she wasn't like other moms. Mm-hmm. And, Interesting. Um, but he was actually pretty well adjusted. So at this point, how old is he? When does he get? old enough to move out of the house oh yeah okay yeah when when the murder happened he was in college okay but like a sophomore or something in college um eli and gabriel were sort of in high school uh, oh because they probably didn't have to go to school either right uh-huh. <laughs> yeah mom totally encouraged them not to go to school like you didn't want to go to school that's okay you can hmm. just stay home with me that's fine Right. And so, but he, Adam, was pretty well adjusted. Did really, really well at school. Did really well in sports. Like, he had, he was very popular. Um, while they are in the middle of getting a divorce or trying to get a divorce, Susan decides that she's going to move to Montana. <gasps> Yeah, Montana's awesome. It is awesome. And so she wants to. She wants to be in Montana. You know, screw California. She wants to be in Montana, uh-huh. and just so she takes her kids, her two kids, Eli and Gabriel, rents this cute furnished cabin, mm-hmm. and like pays for it up front like three months or something like that she's talking about moving to montana but right now she just kind of wants to get away you know divorce and all that mm-hmm. and so her and her sons go up to montana nobody seems to wonder why the, the boys aren't in school <laughs> like she just do whatever was it during the summer nope oh well <laughs> no okay. one noticed so they're up there um, Eli, who is very devoted to his mother, at some point, though, wasn't getting along with anybody. Like, he was mad at his father, mad at his mother, he was mad at everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, the only time that there had really been any physical violence in the family during an argument was from Eli. Okay. And so, he actually punched his mother in the face. Ooh. And that was, like, the most violence that had happened that anybody really knew of. Yeah. Um. And she claimed that she was afraid of him, of Eli. But, again, her opinions changed pretty rapidly. So she took Eli and Gabriel with her to Montana. Mm-hmm. And they're up there for a while. The landlords, um, the landlord and his wife um, really don't hear from her much or anything like that. They think everything is great. Um, but then she calls and says that they're leaving. Like, she's just... Didn't stay for the whole three months or whatever. Okay. So they were, they were just going to go. And which part of Montana? Like, that really matters. I'm just curious. I don't know. Don. Damn it. <laughs> Details. Missoula. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what you want to know, right? Right. <laughs> well, I just want to know if I know where it, where it is. No, I don't know. Okay. That's I'll okay. The, I'll have to... 
fish through all this to find out. So anyway, um, they leave. They go up there to basically clean up and so on. And they had some really nice furniture that got broken. Doors were taken off hinges. It seemed like every door had been kicked in at some point. Darn renters. I know, right? Right? You can't keep anything nice. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he's in the, he, I believe, was in, like running for some kind of, I want to say a congressman seat. So, I mean, the, the landlord. Okay. Um, they were, like I said, pretty affluent and they had just you know a nice place that they were renting out not because they needed the money or anything but just mm-hmm. they didn't really use it yeah so kind of like what we would consider an airbnb now yeah and so he calls her up and he's like what happened to my doors uh there was a strong wind and it just like <laughs> he's all like okay what happened to my antique chair oh my son gabriel sat in it and it just fell apart Oh yeah, it's amazing how that happens. Sometimes you just sit in a chair and it just just falls apart. (laughs) How do you not know that? Not quality furniture, (laughs) obviously. But I mean, she had always some kind of ridiculous story for something, and then he was just like, you know, whatever. Like she paid for the rent up front, didn't stay the entire time. He wasn't going to give her back any money, so. You know, just buy a new chair. Yeah, and he's all like, yeah. "I got work to do anyway." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so, um, but his wife is fixing up the place, uh, cleaning it out, and so on, probably with the intent of renting it out again at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she finds two what she thinks are two short stories, okay. just like one over here printed up somewhere and left, and then one like under the bed or something also printed up and so she just kind of picks them up and sets them aside as she cleans um and then she sits down and she reads them and one of the short stories is about a wife who kills her husband Ooh. the other short story is really messed up and she like really freaked out about it but she didn't really know anything because none of this had really happened yet mm-hmm. she was just a tenant from hell as far as they they were concerned okay but so she reads the second one and the second short story is about a mom mm-hmm. who's you know married and has a son and every time that dad goes away to go to work the mom sleeps with the son <gasps> gross right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so is it, is it oh about to gosh. get worse none as far as this goes, like, that was just a short story. Just a story. But there's stuff that makes you think that maybe that short story was either maybe a little truthful or some kind of weird fantasy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, goes back. Goes back to Orinda, California. At this point, Felix has gotten... Um, Goes back with the boys. He's trying to figure out some way to to make the marriage work. Like he doesn't want to leave and mm-hmm. he doesn't want her to leave. And he wants to keep his family together for whatever crazy reason. Right. 
And so it's still not not working out. She wants out. So he's like, all right, let's get a divorce. And she goes back and forth from saying things like, if it means that I can be rid of you, I'll let you have the house and you can have custody of the kids and whatever. And then she, of course, it changes her mind. Okay. And she does this a lot. Finally, um, he she served with papers. They're going to go to court. They're going to start their divorce. She decides that, man, she really just wants to live in Montana. <laughs> Montana is awesome. And she just wants to be there. So she goes back to Montana. Uh-huh. And um, does not hit up those, <laughs> those landlords. Right. But she goes by herself. And she talks to a woman up there about buying a house and she tells her that she's basically leaving a bad marriage and she just needs to start over somewhere and so she um is gonna buy this little house Mm -hmm. and so she moves in it's not finalized or anything just yet but you know so she pays some money to to stay there if she decides that she wants to buy it then she'll buy it Mm -hmm. and so they're like okay you know and the woman that owns the place is thinking you know she's been in a really bad situation so this is fine yeah well it is fine until she finds out that felix went to court without her <laughs> it's like well of course he did you were served with papers you uh-huh <laughs> and you decided that you wanted to go live in montana <laughs> so yeah so of course he gets custody of the two children that are still minors mm-hmm. he gets the house and okay. you know it's like what did you expect you told him you were moving to montana yeah and then you left yeah <laughs> it's like so so she calls him up and tells him that she's gonna come back to shoot him in the head wow and then gets into her vehicle and goes back goes back home okay he calls his lawyer to say susan's coming back to shoot me in the head because mm-hmm. that's what she just told me and he's like you should probably call the police yeah. i think you should do that you should call the police so he does he calls the police they of course can't really do anything mm-hmm. so she comes back and he says you know what you stay in the house oh i'll i've got custody of gabriel eli's just kind of doing whatever eli's doing like no uh-huh. one can really control that that kid at this point so he's like i'm taking gabriel we're gonna go to a hotel for for a bit and we'll just try to figure this out uh-huh. so they go to the hotel she's there for a while gabriel wants to go back home he's not fully on his mom's side uh-huh. anymore like he's actually spent time with his father and realized that his father isn't this horrible monster that she's been telling him yeah that he is but it doesn't mean he's really willing to just like Leave. forget about his mom. Yeah. So they go back. It's his property. Mm-hmm. So he could really just be like, get out. Right. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, you know, he's like, Gabriel wants to, you know, spend a couple of days here with you. I'm going to leave him here. And then he goes back to the hotel. At some point, for whatever reason, she tells him that he can he can stay in the pool house if that like since Mm -hmm. if that's if he wants to be there that's where he can be like he she doesn't want him in the house 
Yeah. But he can be in the pool house. And again, it's just like, you you actually have no say in right. any of this. But he agrees. Okay. So he stays in the pool house where she murders him. And I think... Did she shoot him in the head? No. Oh. She did not shoot him in the head. So Gabriel um, comes home from school. Dad's vehicle's not there. He thinks, oh, he probably went to work. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to go see a football game. And so he was like, he'll be home soon and we'll go. We'll go see the game. Mm -hmm. Dad doesn't show up. He doesn't show up. He doesn't show up. And he thinks that's really weird. Like they've been getting along really well and he's you know he notices that his dad doesn't just like say he's gonna do something and then doesn't do it Mm -hmm. so he's like that's really weird that's really weird and he starts getting kind of suspicious of his mom because his mom's acting like you know his dad does this kind of thing all the time yeah and so he's just like that's like it's all just kind of weird so he calls the office Nobody picks up. And so he's like, well, where is he? I wonder where he is. And so he's, you know, she's just like, oh, just hang out with me. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, like, this is all kind of a little weird, but whatever. But more time passes and more time passes and dad still doesn't come home. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm going to go check the pool house. She knows he's there. She knows he's there dead. Yeah. And she lets him go. She lets him go. Mm-hmm. Doesn't stop him. And at this point, he's like 15 years old. Yeah. And just lets him go to discover the body. Oh, my gosh. And he does. Mm-hmm. And he calls the police. And she's just like, oh, well, whatever. Wow. So she gets arrested. Uh, she claims that she did it in self-defense. That she went over there for whatever reason. And he attacked her. And so she defended herself mm-hmm. and stabbed him 27 times <laughs> in self-defense. Okay. Yeah. He, by the way, was only wearing, like, his tidy whities Oh. So. Yeah. Which makes him think that she probably went and knocked on the door pretty late at night. Mm-hmm. Let her in. I mean, they were married, so it's not like he was like, oh, I'm indecent. Right. <laughs> just let her in. Yeah. And so for him to have attacked her with a knife, is like, where was the knife? Mm-hmm. He was in his underwear. Like. Yeah. <laughs> he just picked up a knife from somewhere. Like, it was a pool house. Like, it's not. <laughs> but they're like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. So they think that she went with a knife. With, and by her own admission, later on, she does admit that she went with a mag light flashlight and a can of pepper spray that she had bought in Montana to keep bears away. Okay. So, but she did not have the knife. That was her, her thing. She went with a flashlight and pepper spray. What was she going out there for if she had to carry pepper spray? Exactly. Right. It's just like, what's the, why are you do like, why did you go there? Uh Uh-huh. Never really could answer that one. So, so uh, she tells her entire story. Hold on just one second. So, not to justify the 27 stabs, but after reading some of these and realizing that you're still alive 
after having your your throat slit and being stabbed mm-hmm. a couple times. I can see her not knocking him down and needing to because he's fighting back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really needing to make sure that he's mm-hmm. he's well dead. ultimately what they found out was that none of the stabs actually killed him he died of a heart attack due to the stabbing oh, oh. wow yeah so but she was still considered she caused, well she caused that heart attack okay. now didn't she <laughs> well yes but i wasn't sure that the uh, jury would see that i just was kind of oh yeah okay yeah you you set something in motion and it caused someone to die uh-huh you're guilty of some type of murder yeah now okay. if it was involuntary like if it was an accident mm-hmm. that's involuntary manslaughter you didn't mean to and you had no intention of this person dying yeah like, but your actions resulted in their death yeah she went in with the intent to kill him Right. Just because his heart gave out before any of her stabs <laughs> actually works <laughs> doesn't mean that she didn't murder him. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Just a little lesson there. <laughs> I know, yeah. And I know that a lot of times they'll, you know, when you hear about people getting murdered and, and stuff and they talk about how many times someone was stabbed and like that makes a difference in the ruling on things because a self de- person doing self-defense doesn't sit there and stab somebody 27 times right yeah they stab them like once or twice so that they let go so they so can, they can get go away. right yeah so yes <laughs> but her her story was that she went to the pool house for whatever reason again could not give any definitive reason of why she went to the bullhouse especially if she was so afraid of him because that's what she claimed was that he was abusive and she was afraid of him and it was like so you went to the bullhouse because still she had no no answer for that she claims that she went to the bullhouse he attacked her had a knife like he punched her in the face knocked her down was on top of her had a knife got from somewhere and that she fought him back. She kicked him in the groin, got the knife away from him. He was still on top of her. Mm-hmm. And she reached around with the knife and stabbed him in the back. Really? Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty amazing. That's, yeah. Because she stabbed him all over the place. In the back, on the side, in the front. Like, just... Did she have any uh, indications that she was punched in the face? She had a little red mark on the side of her face there. And he had some hair in his hand. Uh, But that could have been from trying to stop her from stabbing him. Because he also had some cuts on his hand that were defensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the other thing I'm thinking is they were already divorced. He already had custody of the kids, and he had the house. If he dies now, you're not getting anything. Well, the divorce hadn't been finalized yet. That was just the ruling of what he was... Oh, so she could still end Mm -hmm. up with everything. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yep. The thing is, though, like, I think she just killed him because she, she went crazy. Yeah. And hated him and wanted him dead. She's the one that had control of all the finances. She always had control of all the finances. Oh. Like, he never had control of that. That's one Uh of the things that came up in the trial was, like, you were abused, but he let you travel the world with your sons whenever you wanted. 
Mm-hmm. And at some point they decided that they were going, I don't even remember where they were going. Thailand, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And they were in Thailand for a little bit. And then they were like, I don't know, man, Thailand's not really our thing. Let's go somewhere else. And so she's just oh. like, hey, hun, will you like make us some plane reservations? Thanks. And he does, even though they hate each other. Yeah. Mm. And so he sends her somewhere else. And they're there for a little bit. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man. This place, I'm not really feeling this place. Uh-huh. So how about we just go to Hawaii? Yeah, sound good? <laughs> All right. Hey, I need plane tickets to Hawaii. Thanks. And wow. then he sends her to Hawaii. You know, it's just like. You must be rolling in the dough. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, you were so controlled. And yeah, he just let you take your sons to wherever without him. Like, yeah. just have fun mm-hmm. have fun spending my money yeah <laughs> like that was stay away from me <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so she goes to she goes to trial and she goes she gets a lawyer named dan horowitz and he is all about the publicity, and he's like, I'm going to make a name for myself. He's uh, married to a beautiful woman named Pamela. They start, they start the trial, and he's just all over the place. It looks like he might actually be able to, like, he's out in the media all the time, just putting her story out there, you know, poor battered woman, and just he's thinking this is how i'm gonna how i'm gonna get her off of this i'm gonna she's claiming that she was abused so i'm gonna do a whole battered woman defense Mm -hmm. and we'll see if we can't get her out of this jam yeah and so far it seems like it's going pretty well they do jury selection one woman um claims that she is writing a book about it so they tell her that she can't be a juror um but Dan decides that, you know, we could definitely use her on the team, though. So he hires her. <laughs> just, I don't know. Okay. Just hires her. Okay. Um, hmm. He, it sounds a little weird, but I, like at that time, I don't think he was like, sup, girl. I think he was just like. You know, Susan really liked her. She got kicked off the jury. So uh-huh. maybe we could just kind of add her to the team just to kind of help out a little with research and so on. Because uh-huh. he seemed like he was pretty happily married. Um, as the case is starting up and they're doing jury selection and they're about to start doing um, arguments, his wife is murdered. Oh! <gasps> Yeah, the attorney's wife is murdered. Ooh. Yeah, they were in the middle of building their dream mansion. Uh-huh. And she, they were living in a little trailer while their house was being built. Uh-huh. And they were communicating all the time with each other. Like, they would call each other throughout the day. You know, that's why I'm like, I don't think there was anything up mm-hmm. with that juror. Yeah. Because he seemed like he was really devoted to his wife. Yeah. And, um, but he hadn't heard from her and he called her and she never picked up. And so he was like, that's kind of weird because they didn't really go 
a whole day without talking to each other. Yeah. So he was like, that's really kind of weird. He wasn't all that worried. He's like, you know, I'm busy with this and she's busy with the house. So like, this is, I'm sure everything's fine. Mm -hmm. He goes home. Her car's there at the trailer. And he's like, that's kind of weird. Like if she's been home, why didn't she answer the phone? Mm -hmm. He goes in and she's, she's dead. Wow. Hmm. And he breaks down. Um, he eventually does call the police. I mean, it takes him a little bit, but he does. Mm-hmm. And the police come. They do find out who did it. Um, there was kind of a leftover hippie commune. Okay. Yeah. It was really, really weird. But there was a teenage boy there. Uh-huh. And he was up to all kinds of no good. And he got credit cards and people's names from around the neighborhood. Like, Mm -hmm. he would go and take information from their mailboxes and so on to order stuff. (laughs) And I think a lot of it was for him to, like, grow pot and so on. Okay. And so he went to their trailer to basically get her to give him the pin numbers to her credit cards wow yeah and so he raped her killed her Mm. and just left her there wow and they found they found out who it was pretty quick Mm -hmm. um they arrested him but he was pretty much like i'm kind of done with everything yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to do anything. She had a couple of older kids, um, adult children. Mm-hmm. So he was basically like, I just kind of want to spend time with my step stepkids. Like, that's all I really want to do. So he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to continue this. Hmm. So they declared a mistrial. Well, and it would be hard to defend somebody when something like that had just happened to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then, like, she's just kind of like, he's like, I just kind of want to be done for a little bit. They declare a mistrial, and he's just like, I don't know if I'm even going to come back to the law, much less to defend you. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hadn't really made a decision. Mm-hmm. Yet about whether or not like he was going to come back to to be her lawyer. Uh-huh. Um, he kind of does for a little bit. Like he's like, okay, you know, I can't just like leave her twisting in the wind. Yeah, like I'm I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try my my darndest to do this. So he goes back, and at this point, they hired <laughs> they hired a woman. Uh, let's see what was her name. She was actually a Scott Peterson trial groupie. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And so they hired her because Susan really liked her. And they hired the the other woman that was kicked off the first jury. Mm -hmm. She was there. And Dan, at some point, starts an affair with the woman that was an ex-juror. Okay. And so... Um, at that point, though, Susan's already turned on him. Oh. And so she's actually held several interviews where she claims that Dan had something to do with his wife's death <sighs> and talks about how he told her that 
he had basically set up that teenage boy and then it's all all craziness like wow he was just like okay well i'm done here yeah <laughs> like have fun <laughs> i'm out yeah <laughs> but she turns on everybody like at some point she turns on everyone and so but he did start having an affair with that woman that was that was true mm-hmm. they started a thing um which made him lose contact with his stepchildren mm-hmm. because it was not very long oh. from Pamela's death to when he started up with that woman. Okay. So that much was true, mm-hmm. but that wasn't a secret either. Like he wasn't like trying to hide that. Yeah. So the other stuff though, seemed like it just kind of came out of her being mad at him. Yeah. For whatever reason. Right. <laughs> like Who knows? Yep. So, the prosecutor, the first prosecutor, by the time they go to trial number two, at this point, it's been four years now. So, she's been in prison this whole time? Mm -hmm. Waiting. Wow. She got out for a little bit when Dan managed to talk a little bit about, for the mistrial. They set her some bail, and so she got out. But then she went back. Um, she was not very good at not doing the things that she was told not to do. Mm-hmm. So bail was revoked. She went back. And at this point, her son, Gabriel, who's the one that found the body, um, when all that happened, Adam, who I think was a sophomore in college, mm-hmm. was like, what am I supposed to do with my little yeah. brother? Like, he's a teenager, just... At that point, Eli's 18 and running around doing whatever. Is he like his mother? Yes. Eli is still fully on Susan's side. But no, but I mean, is he like her? Like um, schizophrenic and... So far, it doesn't look like anybody else has any mental illness. Okay. Just her. <clears throat> and so, but he's like, what am I supposed to do with Gabriel? Like, I can't mm-hmm. like bring him up here. I can't go over there full time mm-hmm. so he calls one of his friend's moms and he's like hey would you be able to take gabe in just for i mean i don't know for how long but do you think you'd be able to take him in until i can figure this out mm-hmm. well adam is so well adjusted and loved by pretty much anybody that's met him mm-hmm. like they all knew susan and were like that woman's crazy yeah it's like but adam is you know, class president, he's football star, he's oh. getting all A's. Like, they're like, I would really like my kid to be like that, so you should hang out with him. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so when he called and he asked, you know, one of his really good friends, you know, hey, do you think I could talk to your mom? Mm-hmm. What would you think about doing that? She's like, of course. Yeah. Where is he? Okay, I'll go get him. And she's thinking at some point, surely a family member is going to come and pick Gabriel up. Yeah. No. So she gets him. He acts like a little turd. Mm-hmm. But of course he does. Like, this is awful. Yeah. Like, it's so terrible. He lost his father, who was just, he was just barely getting to know again. Mm-hmm. And his mother has been arrested for murdering him. Yeah. And... He's never had any kind of discipline ever in his life. Like, Adam was pretty self-disciplined. And only because he wanted to make something out of himself. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was just like, you do whatever you want, you're perfect. 
And they're like, okay, I'll nice. do whatever I want because I'm perfect. Yeah. So she had to definitely like, that's not how this actually works. Yeah. So then she actually had to be a mom to him. Making him go to school and all mm-hmm. that other stuff. Yeah. Okay. And due to all the school he had missed, mm-hmm. he was behind a grade. Okay. So she was like, this is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so when he actually had some structure and some discipline, like he is doing really, really well. Okay. Like he comes into his own and he starts to actually grow. And it's just like a whole different kid. Yeah. And of course, but that still comes with him being really angry at his mother. Yeah. And she would write to him and um, the woman, what was her name? I think her name was Marjorie. But um, she, she would encourage him to read the letters like this is, you know, still your mother. You should read the letters. And he was like, nope. So then like he would tear them up and she would tape them back together and she would read them out loud to him and then she he was finally like if you continue to do that i'm going to run away i'm going to leave Mm -hmm. so she was like okay i'm not doing that anymore (laughs) (laughs) he was doing so well and she's like yeah he's like i don't want to hear it yeah she's like okay so they go to trial and she decides to defend herself Susan does. Uh-huh. Okay. Susan decides that she's going to be her own lawyer. She's so smart. She is actually really smart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's crazy, but she's actually really smart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so the first prosecutor from the first uh, trial, mm-hmm. when they did a mistrial, he was he had such an awful time because she was awful. Like, she is just terrible, terrible. She would object. To, she would just object just because she could and she would say awful things to him mm-hmm. <laughs> and the judge just kind of let her because she was defending herself wow and so when the mistrial happened um he left the da's office and uh-huh. he was just like i'm going into private practice <laughs> see y'all <laughs> so another guy had to come in and do it his name was paul and I don't think I'll be able to pronounce his name right, but it was like Sugiri, Sugiri, something like that. I'll call him Paul. So he's now, yeah, he's not the DA, but he's like one of the top two assistant okay. district attorneys. And so he's like, I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. That's fine. <laughs> Little does I'm, he know. I'm sure he regretted it every day of his life. <laughs> so she goes like they're they're doing the trial and she would just from no matter what he said she would object like even during times when like their opening statements Mm -hmm. like there's nothing to object to but she would be objecting every time wow just to yeah and then she would say all kinds of awful things to him and the judge you know would tell her, you know, you have to stop. And she was just like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, judge. And then she'd keep going. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was just like, she cared not for anybody's rules. She was going to do what she wanted to do. And if you try to stop her, well, who cares? Because she was going to do it anyway. Hmm. 
I was like, and yet you're standing in front of a jury talking about how he was controlling you. Right. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had so much control over you. Yeah. You got to go on all kinds of vacations whenever. Didn't seem to care at all when you told your sons not to go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so controlling. Yeah. He was so controlling. How does that work when you defend yourself? That just seems so weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But she actually did up. a pretty good job. Really? Like, there was times when he was, when Paul was worried. Uh-huh. Because she tore down a lot of the police work, some of the forensics. She got her own forensic guy to go in there and was basically talking about how he wasn't murdered. He died of a heart attack. <sighs> and Paul's like, yeah, but what started the heart attack? Uh-huh. Was it, oh, I don't know, being stabbed? <laughs> He was a 70-year-old man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's just like... Um, but she she did a pretty good job. And so, he was a little worried. He uh-huh. was like, she's really smart. And she, you know, has absolutely no legal training whatsoever. But if she got a little legal training, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Except okay. that she was so freaking delusional. Uh-huh. Like that was one of the things that, because both of her sons testified against her. Oh. Eli couldn't testify for her um, until later on because he was in the middle of his own criminal trial. Really? Yeah. Eli left to his own devices would just kind of go a little crazy. But this during her trial, he was in county waiting for his trial for um, domestic violence against his girlfriend. Mm. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the funny things, and I say this is funny, but I mean, it's kind of ha-ha funny, but it's really kind of weird. Eli... While his mom is in jail, waiting for trial number two, mm-hmm. he's living at the house because mm-hmm. nobody's living there. Adam's at school. Gabriel's with um, that other family. So he's living at the house. Mm-hmm. He's old enough to be by himself, even though he should not be by himself. <laughs> like, I mean, 18-year-old enough to be by yourself, but you yeah. should not be by yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially having no... Not much of a parenting style at all up until ever. Mm-hmm. So he's going through money like crazy. Um, he's driving around in the car. He's at a stoplight and he's got his BB gun <sighs> and he shoots the guy next to him. Oh my God. In the neck with the BB. <sighs> That guy had to have surgery. Like I can believe it. <laughs> he was, BB guns can be powerful. <laughs> yes. He had to have surgery. And he later on, um, I think he became the mayor. Who did? The guy that got shot in the oh my gosh. <laughs> so he passed the law <laughs> about BB guns. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. See, now you know why there's warnings and laws because it happened. It happened to someone. <laughs> so he's there waiting his own his own trial. Um, Adam, of course, testifies for the prosecution, and Gabriel testifies for the prosecution. And Adam is still like he loved his he loved his dad. 
mm-hmm. he loves his mom too like he doesn't hate his mom right but he knows that she was mentally ill mm-hmm. and pretty much her entire trial was that she was trying really hard to prove that she was not mentally ill not that she didn't murder her husband not that it was Mm self-defense but every time her mental illness was brought up like it was all about not being delusional and so that's really what she focused on Hmm. that's really interesting because you would think if you were going to get tried for something that you might want to have that for a backup Mm -hmm. the insanity thing she's like nope nope i'm not crazy at all yeah and um Adam talks about how, you know, the whole satanic panic thing and all the other stuff that he saw at home. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, at some point you thought that there was hidden messages in the newspapers. So, you know, kind of thought you weren't like everybody else at that point. Yeah. Um, she thought her husband was a spy. Um, yeah. She, oh, at some point she started reading about psychics, so then she thought she was psychic. <laughs> there was well, that. Of course. Yeah. She I was actually certain that she was a psychic during her murder trial. So, hmm. oh. so she did bring up someone with psychic abilities. She got that person to testify, even though the judge called the psychic's testimony tangent- tangentially relevant. But she narrowed the scope of the questions. So Annette Martin was the name of the psychic. Basically just kind of asked her psychic abilities were real and stuff like that. Because they narrowed they narrowed it down every time she tried to ask a question. Mm-hmm. That was not a part of the scope that the judge had narrowed down to. Mm-hmm. The judge would stop her. Oh. And so... Um, <laughs> I'm objecting that it's dictatorship from the bench, Susan bristled. That's correct, a frustrated judge responded. You are embarrassing me in front of the jury, Susan Polk hissed. It's like, yeah, no, I think you're kind of embarrassing yourself there, girl. Yeah. Eli did eventually uh, get to testify. They let him come in to, to do that. So for Adam's testimony, she dragged on that cross-examination for days. When Gabe testified, it was days. Mm-hmm. Like, she was just asking him all kinds of stuff. And she had no idea, like, about his life at that point. Like, it'd been years. And he refused to talk to her and correspond with her or anything okay. like that. So she had no idea uh-huh. that he graduated from school, and ha- graduated from high school, was going to college. Like, Wow. None of that. Like, she had no clue about any of it. Mm-hmm. So she thought that she could still kind of control him, and, um, which helped and didn't help. Like, some of the jurors thought that he was being disrespectful. And I'm like, yeah, he found his dead father. Yeah. <laughs> How much respect do you want him to have for this crazy person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But whatever. Um, but he kept his cool. Adam kept his cool really well. Eli basically went up there and said whatever it is that his mother wanted him to say Hmm. and so even when the prosecutor was like really but what about this and he would have no no answers you know it was very clear that he was lying yeah and so um when he was in county and he went to trial for his domestic violence stuff 
Um, he was sentenced to nine months in county jail. He might have gone to state prison for 16 months had Paul, the third highest person in the DA's office, not recommended he be sent to county jail instead. Hmm. So he basically went and was like, don't send this kid to, to state prison, to send him to county. Hmm. And this is in the middle of her murder trial and she and he hates her like yeah this person is awful like every day she was calling him all kinds of names and so but he still was like hmm. don't send him to state wow like it's not his fault yeah like what kind of person is he it's all because of her so yeah he deserves a chance and she of course had no idea that he did any of that mm-hmm so, she does get, so when the trial is done, basically, the entire, all of, all the jury members, when they finally got to sit down and be like, all right, how are we voting here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody thought that it was self-defense. <laughs> okay <laughs> like everybody was like <laughs> she did it y'all mm-hmm. <laughs> we just got to figure out like is it first degree murder secondary degree murder is it manslaughter like yeah we got to figure that part out okay. so we all agree that she killed him right <laughs> okay great and so they started huh. doing that they had one holdout on murder one okay everybody else was like she she did it yeah and so at some point, they deliberated for a long time, and they decided that they were not going to be a hung jury. They were like, we're, we're figuring this out. Mm-hmm. If it takes us forever, it takes us forever. We're figuring this out. Yeah. And their main reason was because they didn't want anybody else to go through what they went through as jurors. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like this was long. This was awful. Uh-huh. <laughs> like because she defended herself. Yeah, like there wasn't. She went took the stand, so she basically went up there and talked forever. Interesting. Yeah, See, I was kind of wondering about that. Yeah, do you ask yourself your own questions? They just let her basically <laughs> have a speech, and at some point, like the jurors were like, "This is awful." Yeah, like, can we tell her to shut up. It was like, no, that's going to cause a mistrial, and they didn't want. <laughs> anybody else to go through that nonsense yeah so they're like we're figuring this out so Good for them so they finally decide on murder two okay they had one holdout who wanted my uh, manslaughter and they were like you're not getting that mm-hmm. it's like so it's either one or two yeah and so once he let go of manslaughter they could all agree on murder two okay so they um Went on to sentencing, and she, her sons did a impact statement, and um, she had her mom go and ask for leniency, and they basically gave her 16 years to life. Okay. July of this year, she was up for parole. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the parole commission and they you know were trying to ask her some questions and she would not shut up (laughs) and so she basically argued and argued with them and they were like get out wow so they kicked her out of the proceedings and then were like 
no parole for you, and you can't ask for another 10 years. Mm. Oh! <laughs> so, that is what happened with Susan Polk. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So, one of the reasons that I was that I told you about that short story, right? Mm-hmm. The gross one. Yeah. And how, like, later on, like, there were some notes in, in here that I was like, were they? Were they not? Because some of the letters that they wrote to each other, they weren't sexually explicit, uh-huh. but they were obviously very romantic. Like, Eli would write poetry to her, uh-huh. but it wasn't like, you're the best mom in the world kind of poetry. Yeah. Like, when they were read out loud, people were like, that sounds like something you would write to a lover. Mm. And there was, like, a couple of dudes in the audience that were like, if I could write something like that to my wife, man. Right. <laughs> but but, but it was like, but that's her son. Yeah. <sighs> And that came up a couple of times, like the way he would talk about his mom. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when she got sentenced, she looked around to see who was there in the in the courtroom. And her two her two sons, even though they were angry with her and mm-hmm. uh, Gabe wasn't talking to her, they were there, obviously, you know, to support their father's family and and be there for for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eli was there too with a woman that looked an awful lot like Susan Polk. Oh. Yeah, and the girlfriend that he got arrested for breaking the restraining order and the whole domestic violence thing was like 10 years older than him. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the weird things that she kept saying, uh-huh. and the, this happened a lot, so Felix's last words were, it's me, it's Felix, it's me, it's Felix. I think you've killed me. So they're like... That's kind of a weird thing to say. It's me. It's Felix. How do they know what his last words she were? She told them. Oh. Because eventually she was like, that she was there uh-huh. because she was defending herself. Okay. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, like, first That's she started true. out with, I didn't do it. To it. it. Okay, so I did do it, but I totally defended myself. Yeah. So one of the things that she did a lot uh-huh. was that she would confuse Felix for her father. So she would say things like, my father, instead of Felix, or my husband, oh. she would say, my father. Mm. So whenever, they think that whenever she was stabbing him, uh-huh. that she was probably saying something about her father. Oh. Because he was like, it's me, it's Felix. Uh-huh. And so. Wow. And the other thing that she would do throughout the trial mm-hmm. is that she wouldn't refer to Eli as her son. She'd refer to Eli as her husband. Really? Yeah. So it makes you think a little bit more about that short story. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. And sad. Oh, yeah. So Adam Polk is an attorney in okay. the California area. Mm-hmm. And Gabe Polk works for Amazon. Also in the California area. Oh. I couldn't really find out anything about Eli. Uh, but I don't think he's very successful. Mm. Sounds but like they, it be. It looks like they definitely are successful and are out there living their lives. Good. Mm-hmm. That is good to hear. That's so sad. Wow, that is wild. That's a wild story. Mm-hmm. We're ready to wrap. I think so. All right. 
Well, this has been Do We Like Murder, a segment of the Long Overdue Podcast. Thank you for listening.